Just over 18 months ago, we kicked off an initiative called Beyond, a two-year journey of increased generosity to multiply our kingdom impact. We began asking God to do immeasurably more beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. So we locked arms together to move beyond. We knew that there were people we didn't know yet living beyond our reach. Millennials in search of purpose. High schoolers dominated by anxiety. Dads ready to throw in the towel on their families. Boys and girls trapped in poverty, slavery, and exploitation. Kids who will grow up in a version of America where going to church and following Jesus seems abnormal and foreign. So, with the belief fueled by the possibilities, we took a step of faith to move beyond. And even in the midst of the uncertainty of COVID-19, we knew it wasn't time to hold our ground, but time to take new ground. And what a journey it's been. We've had some obstacles for sure. We have seen God expand His kingdom. We've seen dozens of students commit to follow Jesus. We helped fund a leadership development program in Clarkston, Georgia, the most diverse square mile in the country. We've seen over a hundred elementary kids begin to follow Jesus. We've invested in life-saving programs with our global partners. We've put our money where our mouth is in believing that the now generation aren't just leaders for tomorrow, but the leaders of today. We started a campus in Sandy Springs that is changing a city and a generation. And through it all, God has increased our faith. We've taken new ground and seen lives changed, hearts restored, and Jesus elevated. So many at Stone Creek have chosen to believe that God will do something beyond what we could dream. And now, we have the opportunity to finish strong all that God has started. Let's continue to dream together, believe together, give together, to see God do something beyond anything that we could imagine so that the life-saving stories of transformation will continue to be written. Were you glad to be at church today to hear that? Come on. Yeah. Hey, if you, you notice you've got a brochure in your seat, we'd love for you to take a look at that just at another time because I'm talking right now. Uh, <laughs> but also just, you know, and you can see some numbers, some statistics, but statistics don't always tell the real story, do they? You know, they don't tell the story of Annika who was released from child exploitation because of your generosity. Or the story of November who was led to Christ by Hillary Cheeseman, one of uh, someone who's involved in our churches, was discipled and entered into an intern program that we were to help fund down in Clarkston, Georgia, and now is preparing for her first year of college. Right? Come on. Man, it doesn't tell the story of Eric and Dara and their rescued marriage. It doesn't tell the story of Nate and his freedom from addiction because of your generosity. And so as we're just in this uh, kind of refresh of beyond, just reminding ourselves of what the stories are, the lives that have been changed. You know, the way that you finish strong is to celebrate what God is up to along the way. Amen? Right, we want to celebrate. Let's do that again. Amen? That means that's your turn, right? All right, and if, you, and if you don't like saying that, just fake it for me for 30 minutes, all right? Um, but we know that, man, when you, when you celebrate, it helps you maintain clarity of vision so you can finish what you've started. And so we're a church that really believes in generosity. You know, one of our cultural values is that generosity is golden. 
Generosity is golden. We believe that the best life is one that's lived to give away to other people. We believe that happens with our time. We ha- believe that happens um, with our words. We believe that happens with our, with our money. You know, a lot of times what can happen is that when you come to church and maybe you're invited for the first time, and I mean, if you came today for the first time, what a great, great Sunday you've come. Just to hear about everything that God is up to, understand more about how God wants to change your life and transform you and the opportunities um, that you'll have. Um, but, but sometimes if you come to church and they talk about money, you get a bit like, ooh, that's a little, that's a little weird. That's a little tense. Are you after my money? Like, what's the deal? So I just want to kind of, I want to put that out of your mind right now. Sometimes you may feel even a little guilty when we talk about money. It's like, am I generous? Do I give enough? I don't know. So here, we're just going to do this little exercise real quick. And we're just going to put that thing to bed right now. So let's just say, say this after me. I, I you're, you're nervous, am, am generous. generous, generous. Let's say it together. I am Generous. See, you're generous, right? So you shouldn't feel guilty. You shouldn't feel a sense of shame. You should feel right at home and at ease now because I just took that off the table, man. We know that we want to be generous. We know that we want, that's the great life uh, that leads to great satisfaction in life. It leads to us living out of purpose. Man, we want to be known that we're generous like nobody wants on their tombstone to say, here lies Stephen. He was selfish, greedy, and stupid, right? No, nobody, nobody wants that. We want people to think that we're generous and to know that we're generous. But sometimes when we say I am generous, it feels a little bit like we're bragging. It feels a little bit like, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're patting ourselves on the back. But we, we want to be generous people. Our moms taught us to be generous. That's how we know it's good. Like our moms taught us to what? Taught us to share that's right remember class I can remember my mom teaching me to share and we used to do that with our kids like one of the ways that we would do it was when we went out to a restaurant and it came time to leave the gratuity we would always try to teach them about what it means to be generous even in that moment like because 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 I waited tables and I know what it's like to, to have to be dependent on someone else's generosity anybody else wait tables in here right like you know what it's like you have lived the good life, fought the good fight. If you haven't waited tables, you have not lived yet. You've got some life lessons to learn. I can remember waiting tables and uh, I was in the end of my high school and into college, I waited tables. And you know, back then they had cash. You guys remember cash? <laughs> they had cash that they would leave on the table as your gratuity. And so every time after, the, after uh, your party got up and they left, you would walk over to the table and you would wanna see what they left you. So I can remember one time that I was walking over to the table and I had this couple, they were a little bit older. They were kind of put together, um, meaning stiff. And so they were, they had come and they had sat at my table and uh, were kind of friendly, but not super friendly, but not, not mean either. And so I went over to the table and it was just two of them. And in that day, you know, the, the, the meal was probably like $4, you know? And so I go to the table and this is what I find on the table. I find this 20, I'm like, that's solid right there. I know nowadays 20 is not a lot, but back then $20 was a really good tip. Now, now as I grabbed this 20 and all my excitement, and I opened it up. This is what I found disappointed you won't be if you will let Jesus Christ become the Lord of your life I'm like I know that and I'm disappointed you morons like what in the world how does that happen and you're gonna leave me a track when I am expecting you to be generous like completely out of touch with reality and I think maybe for some of us who've waited tables, we've experienced that. So what we would do is when we would take our kids places, we would teach them to be generous and teach them what it meant to tip and teach them that people were making their living off of what we would give. And we would teach them it doesn't matter how good they are. It matters who we are. Amen. Like it matters who we are. So there's this one time, y'all, we went and uh, it was a Saturday 
And I took my three boys who were like fourth grade, second grade, and kindergarten. I took them to Waffle House because I'm a big spender like that. So I took them to Waffle House. It tells you probably about the financial state we were in. And, you know, so that Debbie could have a little bit of a break around the house that morning. And so, um, man, we get there and we, we, you know, we have our meal. And, you know, I go up to the cashier and I pay. And they're always asking me, how much are you going to leave, Dad? How much are you going to leave, Dad? How much are you going to leave, Dad? I'm like, I'm going to. I'm going to leave a lot because I'm, I'm your dad. Uh, and so, th- but they say, hey, you go into the car. We'll be right there. I'm like, what do you mean? And so they, they kind of trail along behind me and they come barreling into the car and they're real excited. And they're looking out the back windshield into the, into the Waffle House. Now, now, let's be honest. If you're working at Waffle House, like you probably could use a little extra help. You probably could use a hand up. And we had always said that one day when we're all grown and they have real jobs, we're going to tip a car at the Waffle House. And this is where it started. They jump into the car. They're all excited. And so I'm like, what are y'all doing? And they were like, we brought all our money and we left it for a tip. And we want to see her when she comes and gets it off the table. And I'm talking, these three little boys left probably close to $100 for this waitress. And they were so excited about giving it. Can't you just see them right now? And this is how God wants us to feel when we're generous. This is the the expectation that we can experience when we're generous. And I can tell you this, as a dad, I was super proud, super excited of them. And when we're generous, guess who's proud of us? God is. We just get this ability to spread grace and to unfold our lives into into other people. Now, the reason why it's so satisfying when you give, the reason why we all know that feeling and that experience is because that's how God wired us. And God wired us to be generous. He wants us to be generous. Now, I know you said you were generous just a minute ago. Let me ask you this now. Are are you generous? Like, would you look at your life and say, I, 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 I give generously? I give generously of my time. I give generously of my money. Now, today I want it to be high challenge because I believe there's high reward in this for you personally. And I know that this is kind of the point of the message where the pastor kind of says something like this. Hey, you know what? If you get put off by me talking about money, you give your money to another church. That's what you should do just so you don't mistake my motives. I'm not saying that today. You know why? Because I believe that God's changing some things here. I believe that God's up to something special here and I don't want you to miss out. My my desire when I stand up here is that I know God's got something in you that he wants to get out of you and it's what's going to be good for you and it's what's going to be best for you and why wouldn't you give here? Why wouldn't you give to see life change, the kingdom march forward, marriages restored, addicts freed, refugees find a home, the fatherless find a dad. Like why wouldn't we want to give to that? Amen? Awesome. So let's grab our Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, as we're turning there, just a little bit of word about what, why we do this. You know, we believe that God's word just has this power to change your life. And we know that everybody is new to Bible study at some point. You know, there was recently, I was leading an equip group and there was a man who was in there. He's probably approaching 60, grew up in a pastor's home. And when he got to our equip group, he had bought his very first Bible. 
So we know that there are people who are new to Bible study. And we believe that as we learn about how to read the Bible, God will transform our hearts. So we always point to the YouVersion Bible app or a Bible if you like one. And if you have questions about what it even means to study your Bible and you open it up, you're like, what is happening here? Just check in at the I'll Raise My Hand table after the service. We'll be able to get you just a few tools that will be just life-changing for you. So don't miss out on that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, Paul has written this as a letter. So you'll notice it says Corinthians. That was because he wrote it as a letter to the church at Corinth. Hence, we get the letter Corinthians, meaning the people of Corinth. And Paul has planted, he started this church. And then he's gotten word that there's some bad behavior going on. That they aren't acting like they're supposed to act. There's some things going on. He calls them to repentance or to change their mind about how they've been living. And after he calls on them to change their life, he, he, he writes this that we're going to go over today is a practical outworking of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So chapter eight, verse one, Paul writes this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, it says their abundance of joy and their poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So, so just to understand what's exactly happening here. So Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's telling a story about some churches in Macedonia, kind of a group of churches in this other region. And these group of churches have come together to give money to take up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. So the church in Jerusalem, the the founding church of Christianity where, where after Jesus died in Jerusalem, people began to follow him. Now, if you're a Jew and you began to follow Jesus, there was a problem because you weren't following Jewish religion anymore. So you got kicked out of the synagogue. Now, now, now you got kicked out of the synagogue, which meant you had, you had no financial engine. You had no economic engine because they had ostracized you. You had no family. And then top that off with there was a famine so now there were people in Jerusalem that had, no, that had nothing and no way to get anything. So these churches in Macedonia kind of pooled their, pooled their money to send to Jerusalem. But the churches in Macedonia were also poor, right? It says here that they had joy, they had poverty, and it led to generosity. So let me unpack those three words. And I'm going to start kind of with the last one just to talk a little bit about generosity and then go joy and then poverty. So generosity, when we see it in the Bible, it's more about who you are than what you have. Does that make sense? We know that what's on the inside is your character. That's what carries the day. Like we, you want to be known as a generous person. And so generosity begins on the inside and it overflows to the outside. And so a generous person is someone who unfolds their life so that other people can experience grace, so that they can give grace to other people. What's wild is Paul is talking about giving and we know he's taking up a, a financial collection, but he never says that. He always says grace, giving grace, this opportunity to give grace. Because for Paul, you know, your bank account's not your bank account. Your bank account's your grace account. It's, it's the resources you have to be able to give grace to other people. And so when you, when you have a life that God intends you to unfold, just like when you read a letter, you have to unfold it to read it. I mean, if you have a blanket, you have to unfold it to use it. God wants us to unfold our lives in order that we can give grace to other people. And generosity is this unfolding of everything that we have. And so Paul starts with just this overflowing wealth of generosity on their part. And then he has this equation of joy and poverty. 
joy and poverty, joy and poverty. And what happens is grace grows in me, right? And it affects everything outside of me. And, and joy is the overriding factor in this equation. Because think about it. You know, joy and poverty equaling generosity, that doesn't seem to make sense. That sounds like two plus two equals five. I think that's that new math they teach these days. So joy and poverty equals generosity. Now joy is just complete satisfaction that carries today no matter the circumstances. Like have you met people who just have this deep-seated joy in their life? Like no matter what happens, no matter up or down, they just had this grounded foundation that continues to carry them forward that they know that tomorrow's gonna be fine because God's got it. They know that they can live into the future because they have their eyes set on a hope that's eternal and not temporary, a hope that will last and never fade away. This is what it means to live with joy and joy can override our circumstances every single time. Man, when your joy account's full, it doesn't matter how, how full your bank account is, is it? Amen? Like we, we, don't, we don't care. And so Paul is telling us that there's this idea of joy, but he also couples it with poverty and it becomes this powerful combination. We, we know some powerful combinations. Think about this one. You have a match and some TNT. That's powerful, isn't it? It can cause some damage. It can, it can actually also do some good. And so joy and poverty equal generosity. Now, what is poverty? Poverty is just knowing that there's something that you need. And when you experience poverty and you've experienced needing something, you don't want anybody else to ever go through that. Like some of you have experienced poverty. And if I were to ask people if you've experienced poverty, those who have would raise their hand. Those who have only experienced wealth, you would just, you would just, you would be like this because you feel like, ah, uh, that I shouldn't speak to this topic. But poverty is just knowing that we need something. And some of you grew up in poverty. And when you do that, guess what? You learn some things, don't you? Like you know some things about life. And so while we grew up, as I grew up, man, we didn't have, we didn't have everything. You know, my father and my family, we had our house foreclosed on when we moved and we had to move. And my mom continued to be generous even when she had little to be generous with. And I look at that as a blessing, even though at the time it was difficult, now as an adult, it just makes talking about giving experience and generosity so much easier because I saw how God came through for her. And I saw his faithfulness that now at 82, she has a long line of people that she's impacted and influenced. And, and I think for some of us, especially when we live in this area, and I'm gonna speak a lot to our direct context today, when we live in an area that we should classify as affluent while not everybody is affluent, most people are affluent. And I know that is when we talk about rich people, what can, what can tend to happen is that we just talk about the fact that we are all rich and we talk about the fact that we're in the top 3% of income around the world and we should be grateful and all that. And, and while all that's true, the, the truth is I don't live the rest of the world, do you? <laughs> I live in Milton, just like you. I don't, live in, I don't live in Nicaragua or Burkina Faso. I live in Milton. So there are some things I need to understand. And when we have, when we have plenty, there's a danger for us that we just need to at least acknowledge. Because when we raise our children to, to have everything, because we all have this motto in parenting. How many parents in the room, by the way? Like we, we all have this motto. I want them to have it better than me, right? Have you ever thought that as a parent, right? 
It's like, I want them to have it better than me. I want them not, to, I want to have more opportunity. I want them to have more stuff. I want them to have it better than me. I don't want them to have the struggles that I had. And what can happen is when, when kids grow up that way without a proper grounding in what poverty means is that when you, they're going to get older in life and some things are going to go south and not everything's going to be paid for and there's going to be budgets and bills and struggles and they're going to think, wait a minute, I, I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. And this can be a bad day when that happens. Amen. They're going to feel defeated and discouraged and feel like something's wrong. So poverty just means that I have had a need and I know what it's like to have that need. And so Paul says it just bubbles up into generosity. Now, now there's a poverty that will kill generosity. And it's not financial poverty. It's spiritual poverty. Because generosity is about what on the inside. And when I walk in spiritual darkness, when I live this life as if I'm the point of this life, when I look out for my interests before the interests of other people, and when I don't put my eyes on eternity, when I don't realize that there's more to life than right now, I'm going to live in spiritual poverty. I'm not going to have purpose. I'm not going to have meaning. I'm not going to have hope. I'm going to be self-centered, and eventually that world caves in on itself. And for some people, the reason why we're not generous is not financial poverty, but it's spiritual poverty. Now, now Paul continues on in verse 3. Paul says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So notice right there in verse 3 where it says they gave according to their means. So let's start with what that looked like for them. Now in the Bible, there's this thing called the tithe. Anybody heard of the tithe? We've heard of the tithe. Let me hear you say tithe. Tithe. It's very important to understand this if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus. In the Bible, a tithe, tithe is very specific. It starts in the Old Testament. And it's you give 10% of whatever comes your way. Okay? You give 10% of whatever comes your way. So let's do a little math lesson. Okay? If you make $100,000, I'm not saying you do, but if you make $100,000, what's a tithe? 10% is $10,000. Super easy math. Okay? And the reality is it depends on what side you're looking at the 10% to know whether it's a lot or not. So if, if you were to say you have to give 10%, let's, let's say you woke up and they were having a 10% sale at your favorite store. I don't know, REI, Nordstrom Rack, whatever it is. You'd be like, ah, that ain't worth it. It'd be too crowded, be too much effort, right? 10%, no big deal. However, when it comes to what I'm going to give away that I have, and I'm going to give away 10%. It feels like a lot more. Somebody say amen. Doesn't it feel like a lot more? But, but in the Bible, the tithe is not just what I decide to give. Tithe is 10%. And that is considered the starting point. That's what Paul means when he says that he gave, they gave according to their means. That's the starting point. And then it says they gave beyond. I love that word, beyond. Can't you tell? Um, they gave beyond their means. In other words, that is when generosity started for them. Is that, and this is just this mindset that they had. Their mindset wasn't, I have to. Their mindset was, I get to. Like, like it says that they were begging, begging for the favor of taking part in the release of the saints. 
In other words, you're like, let us give, let us give, let us give. We want to give. It reminds me a little bit of a third grade classroom when the teacher needs a helper. And she asks somebody, hey, do you, in the class, do y'all want to help me do whatever? And all the kids are like, I do, I do, I do. Like, and this said, not, and, and they were doing this with generosity. But I think for some of us like me, sometimes rather than saying, I do, I do, I do, I get alligator arms all of a sudden. I'm like, oh, I can't quite reach my wallet. My arms are too short, right? Rather than, hey, let us, let us give. Now, now, there is a difference between just simply giving and being generous. And we should do both, but we need to understand the difference. Like, because there are sometimes that we give and we feel obligated. Have you ever given because you felt obligated because you had to? Have you ever felt maybe even maybe coerced or manipulated into giving? You felt that way? Because I'm about to take up an offering and we're going to see how manipulative I can be. That's a joke. We're not doing that. COVID won't let us. But um, we feel manipulated. So think about this. Like, let's say you're at work. Colleague says, hey, let, let's go to lunch. And you get to lunch and you order like, oh, I forgot my wallet. And it's about the sixth time he's done that. And you're like, you always forget your wallet. Feels like you're doing that on purpose. And you offer to pay for it. But, but you may not really want to. You know, for those of you with teenagers, your teenager drops their phone and cracks it. And you have to give them some money to get it fixed. Or else you won't talk to them until they're 30. You give, but sometimes it's like, oh, I don't really, I don't feel compelled to do that. I don't really want to do that. But I'm going to give out of obligation. And sometimes that's okay. But the differentiating factor between giving and being generous is that key word, joy. When we, we have joy, then we beg to give. We want to give. We ask how can we give. We ask how we can give more. How can we play a part? How can we do this? We raise our hand to volunteer. Now, Paul makes it very clear on how this happens in verse Five, when he says, they didn't give as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see, see, grace is something that comes out of us and God generates, us, generates it in us. Man, God uses his grace to generate generosity out of us. And as we learn to walk with him and devote ourselves to God first, and everything else just has this ability to flow. When we understand what God's done for us, the joy that we can live with, the purpose that we can have, and we live with generosity. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of uh, one of the Olympic events. You know, we just had the Olympics a few months ago. Anybody watch the Olympics? Anybody watch diving? Glad two of you did. About to teach you something. Now, I love watching diving, and especially like when they get on that platform where they're, you know, way up high in the air, like my hands are sweating right now. I'm like, why would you jump off a perfectly good platform? I have no idea. But there's also springboard diving. And springboard divers, there's a lot that goes into that just to get off the board to jump. So, so I don't know if you've ever jumped off a diving board in, before, but I know that when I was growing up, we still had diving boards and pools in the backyard. And when you went to jump off of it, it was like jumping off of a concrete walkway, wasn't it? Like it didn't spring very high. But when you watch Olympic divers, that board goes way down and it throws them way up in the air. And what they do, what Olympic divers know is that the first thing they do is they take the fulcrum that's on the diving board and they move it all the way back so they get the most spring possible. And then as they approach the end of the board and the dive, you were, if you've watched it before, you know how they kind of get in this rhythm where they pull their feet up really high and they, they understand the rhythm of the board. Now, they're not just doing that to look cool. 
They don't get style points for how they march to the end of the board, but they know they've got to get in rhythm with the diving board in order to achieve maximum height to pull off the jump that they want to pull off. And so when, when divers are coached, they're coached to ride the board. They have to feel how the board is. And then when they land on the end of the board, just as the board begins to lift them up, they jump in perfect timing with the board, in rhythm with the board, and it maximizes their jump. And so what Paul is saying is that when we walk in rhythm with God, and when we walk with God, when we care about the things that God cares about, when we, we're passionate about following God, that, that we actually achieve the maximum life possible. That the rhythm of God is what allows us to be generous. Man, and we begin to care about the things God cares about. We begin to love the poor the way God did. We begin to care about the kingdom going forward the way God did. We begin to care about loving people the way that God did. And this is how we end up being, living a generous life. So you have to ask yourself, have you given yourself to God fully or partially? Like, are you walking in rhythm with God in every area of your life so that you can achieve the maximum purpose that God has created in your life? Or is it just partial? Are you still living in some, some spiritual poverty that you don't have to live in? This is how generosity is driven down deep into your soul. Now, now Paul goes on in verse 7 and he talks about just what we should excel in. So watch verse 7. It says, just as you excel in everything. Now, can I just say we love to excel at things? This word means to win. Anybody love to win? You like to score more points? We, we want our teams to win. And, and when your team scores more points than the other team, kind of like A&M did Alabama last night. <laughs> easy, easy. It's a place of grace here, everybody. What in the world? <laughs> when your team scores more points, what? They win. And Paul says, you want to excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in our love for you. See that you also excel in this act of grace, this act of generosity, that we should want to win at generosity. Now, we, we love to win. I mean, obviously, we love to win in football, uh, but we love to win in life. We want to win in our families. If you're married, you want to win at marriage. If you're a parent, you want to win at parenting. You know, you want to win at your, at your job. You want to win at being a friend. We, we want to give our best. We live in a community that we like to give our best. Hey, for some of us, we live in monuments to our winning, don't we? If we're honest. We drive around in monuments to our winning. We wear the trophies of our winning. So we have to kind of be careful at winning at what? So Paul says you want to excel at generosity, this act of grace that we have of actually winning at generosity. Now, now just a quick note about whether you're winning or not, because even when, when, you, when, you're, when you feel like you're winning, you're like, what's the, what's the target? Like, I need to be able to keep score. And I think what Paul and what Jesus would say is it's gonna be hard to keep score because it's a matter of your heart, but just a couple things that may help. So the average American gives away about 1.3% of their income. Just think about that for a minute like 1.3%. And again, I, we shouldn't feel guilty about where we live and what we have, but we should evaluate. Do we think that's generous or not? Now, what's ironic is that the more people make, the less they actually give. Now, there is a number 
where generosity goes up as a percentage of your income. But it's actually not a, a number that you go over. It's a number that you're under. So people that make $50,000 or less actually give away about double what people who make over 50000 give away. And so I think for us to just process what do we think is being generous. If the, if the starting point is 10%, the average person's giving, and Christians are a little more, we're not at 1.3, we're a little closer to 2%. Like, is that, is that a generous life? Is that something God's going to honor us for? Now, there's some ways that we like to give, like, like, like goodwill. Can you say goodwill? Goodwill. Like, have you ever noticed that when you give to goodwill, they're probably doing you a bigger favor than you are? That you're just getting rid of some stuff? So you should give to goodwill. But I was just convicted. Don't, don't give to goodwill and think you're being generous. Because you just need a place to take your junk anyway. Like, if you want to be generous and give to goodwill, walk over to Outrageous Interiors, buy a brand new couch, and take it to goodwill. That would be generous. But sometimes we think giving away the things that we don't want would be generous. Now, we, we should give these things away. But, but what would be the level of generosity? How would someone characterize you? If someone told you how much they gave away, what, what would be the number you would say that person is generous? And that's, where, that's, the, that's the number we need to start with. You see, the inertia of us having a lot of stuff is actually not to have less stuff and get rid of it. It's actually to have more stuff. Have you noticed this, this fact? Like, we moved a few months ago. My Lord, where did all that stuff come from? I bought it. I accumulated it. And when you buy stuff, the more stuff you have, the more you have to take care of it. And that's the inertia. John Wesley was one of the founders of Methodism. John Wesley grew up in a pastor's home where um, they were below the poverty line. Fortunately, that's not the way things are now. And so when he became an adult, he, he was vowed he would never do that. And so he went to college and he became a university professor as well as a pastor. And John Wesley started out making 30 pounds, which was more than enough to handle his, his annual expenses. And then there was someone who came over to his house, a chambermaid, a servant, and she didn't have enough. And he didn't have anything to give her. And so he thought, ooh, I, I should hold on to some to be able to give it away. So he made a vow at making 30 pounds a year that he would never increase his lifestyle to make more than 30 pounds a year. He would always keep it right at 30 pounds. So what happened was he adjusted his expenses so he could give away a little bit, even at 30 pounds. And the following year, he made 60 pounds. So he gave away Every, all the extra. The following year, he made 90. In some years, he made up to 1,400 pounds. And he would give everything over 30 pounds away. To the point that the tax collector was going through his records and they're saying, you must have something hidden here that you have not recorded to pay taxes on because you give so much away. And so I would say, if you want to be generous, you should have an argument with your financial planner. That your financial planner should say, that's too much. You may even have an argument with your spouse. That's really bad marriage advice, by the way. Now, we know that, that money causes most of the conflict in marriage. But the truth is, it's not conflict about trying to give away too much, is it? It's about where to spend it on ourselves. And Debbie and I do this. She wants to give to certain things, and I want to give or not give to certain things. And so sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, you're the spiritual giant. You win. Um, but we know that something needs to be a discussion in, in your family, like if you've never gone without in order to give something, you just need to do a heart check on what it means to be generous. 
Now, now what is your plan to win at giving grace to people? If being generous is about giving grace, hey, what's the plan that you have? And if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to have a plan to be intentional because the inertia, the inertia of having stuff is just to get more stuff. Now, Paul goes on in verse 9. He gives us kind of the Jesus juke. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. So in this, we see that he talks about this, that Jesus, because of his grace, he, he was rich and he became poor so that we might become rich by his, beco- by his becoming poor. Jesus is in heaven, man, ha- has everything, looks down, has compassion on us, recognizes that we're like sheep without a shepherd and leaves, leaves his home in heaven and comes born in a manger, in a barn, never ever owns a home or a car, never has anything but the clothes on his back, yet he gives it all up so that we who are poor, who have spiritual poverty, so that we could experience eternal generosity from God. Like this is the gospel. Now, just to understand the difference between grace and justice. Grace, uh, let me start with justice. Justice is me getting what I deserve. If I speed down the highway, I'm going to get a ticket, I'm going to pay the ticket. And we just get what we deserve. That's justice. And generally, we want justice for everybody but us. Now, grace, on the other hand, is me not getting what I deserve. It's me speeding down the highway, not getting a ticket, not having to pay the ticket, but also getting an income tax refund. Like, that's, that's grace. We get what we don't deserve. And sometimes I think we're, we give based on justice, not grace. Let me give you an example. Years ago, when I actually had my own money and had my own job, you know, you'd stumble on a homeless person somewhere or someone who looked homeless, someone who didn't have enough, and they would ask you for money. And you may think to yourself, hmm, I bet they're going to buy beer with it. I don't think they should buy beer with it. I'm not going to give them anything. That's giving out of justice. That's giving out out of something that, that makes it dependent on them. Grace giving is dependent on me. Why? Because I want to be known as a generous person. I want God to look at me as being generous. I don't have to answer for what someone else does with it. Did you know that? Like, all I have to answer for is what I did with what I was given. That'll radically change how you see giving. Like, is your generosity based on grace or justice? Grace or justice? Jesus, being rich, became poor so that we, being poor, could become rich. Now, Paul closes out this particular, this particular teaching with starting in verse 12. He says, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. So I think in that, there, there's something extremely important for us to know. That, that God's looking for us to give based on what's been given to us. Like, let me ask you, what do you have? Just think about it for a second. What do you have? Now, if you immediately thought of an amount in a bank account, you were missing the point. Because I just told you, you have the riches in heaven. That's what you have. And so this is the perspective that Paul's trying to paint for us. He says, it's not based on what I don't have. It's based on what I do have. I don't mean that others should be eased and you burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. 
So Paul is just trying to help us paint this picture that, okay, now your heart should be changed to understand the riches of God's grace and the riches of his glory. And not only that, don't feel like that you're just having to empty out your bank account just so that you will be broke as a joke and everybody else will be rich. That's not the point. The point is that God has blessed us spiritually, number one, above everything. And number two, God has blessed us physically, financially, and he's blessed different people at different levels. So over the course of the pandemic, many people have just experienced devastation. You may have been in the hospitality industry or the travel industry or something, and you just experienced financial devastation. And so what ends up happening is that you don't have what other people may have. But some people have experienced abundance. Some people have made actually more over the pandemic, not less. Some people, maybe whether it was the stock market or maybe you pivoted in your business and you made some really good decisions that God led you to and you did better than you would have normally. And so rather than looking at what we have extra, the abundance is something to spend on me, we should look at it as something that God wants us to give grace to other people with. Make sense? Like our natural reaction, my natural reaction is if I get more, guess who that's for? Me. It's for my toys, my hobbies, my extra. But rather God's saying, no, 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 no. You need to think about, about giving grace to God. Now, now, one of the things that's captured my heart in the last months or so has been this idea of storing up treasure in heaven. You've heard this in the Bible? Like there's this treasure that we store up in heaven. And I see it in every number that's in this brochure. I see it in every picture, every story that I see, every story that I tell. I'm just like, man, somebody stored up treasure in heaven. Like somebody gave for Annika, and man, they stored up treasure in heaven. And that treasure looks to me like sitting across from them and hearing their story and having God say, hey, I'm proud of you, way to go. Like this is treasure in heaven. Like Paul writes in another, another place to a, to a pastor named Timothy. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 6, um, verse 17. He says this, as for the rich in the present age, me and you, right, charge them not to be haughty. In other words, don't be arrogant. Don't think that you're better than other people just because you have money. Don't set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides. Right, that's the key to treasure in heaven, understanding that God provided what we have. And that everything we have can be used to impact others, that we're giving grace to people. He says this, they're there to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and what? Ready to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And, and, and he tells Timothy, hey, charge those who are rich. So to a certain degree, to all of us, I would say, hey, we, we need to be careful. We need to pay attention that we don't think that what we're storing up here is what's going to last. That that's what's going to give us treasure in heaven. That that's going to be the thing that we should live for. Because eventually we know this. It breaks, it rusts, it gets stolen, burns up, has no capacity to deliver the life that God has for us. And then we store up treasure in heaven. Are, are you winning? Like, would you say that you're winning at investing in heaven, investing in the treasures of the kingdom, which are people? Like, are you winning at giving grace to other people? Like if someone were to examine your bank account, your financial picture, if they looked at your income tax return, like would they say, that, that's generous right there. That's a generous person. That's a generous family. Would, is that what they would say? We just have this ability to live in generosity, man, that we can live in this wild, odd 
wonder of a kid who just gave everything so that someone else, someone else could be blessed. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gospel. Thanks that you left heaven to come for us and to make us spiritually rich, to give us a blessing in the heavenly places, God, to help us live with purpose and meaning and value. And God, that we would all be known as generous, Lord, that our hearts would just be bent to give, not to keep. We would remember that you provided everything that we have, that you give to us, God, so that we can enjoy it, but God, but also so that we can give grace to other people. And God, I pray as a church that we would always be looking at how we give grace to people and that we give grace to people who are addicted and need freedom. God, that we give grace to people who are in just marriage struggle and difficulty. God, people who are trapped in anxiety and depression. God, people who are walking in darkness that need to see the great light of the gospel. God, that we'd be that kind of church, that we'd be always be kicking up some dust to see what you're going to do, Lord. Lord, thanks just for the opportunities that you've given us. Man, for the grace that you give us to be able to give grace to other people. And God, that we would never take that for granted. And we just recognize how blessed we are. Lord, I pray that we would all just evaluate our hearts today. Man, are we fully or partially in? Have we given our hearts totally? Are we holding some things back? And God, we know that the things that we hold back from you, you can't bless because we won't let you. And you can just make them so much bigger. God, I just pray that you'd unleash some greatness in the room today. God, you just help people to know the power of the cross in their life as it overflows in generosity. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.